0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Yeah, um, so we're we're at the beginning of a series uh, called Why Church. Um, It's something that we looked at uh, in the fall, or sorry, in the spring. And uh, as we uh, began to look at it as a congregation before we were doing joint services, I just felt like, oh man, there's something really in this for both uh, churches or or the timing wasn't right. I just wasn't real sure about that start. And so I thought, you know what, we're going to just go back and and do it again in the fall and dig into it. Uh, The heart of the the series is to really engage with uh, the purpose of the church, why we're doing this, why we're all coming out, uh, why we're uh, working on sound and media and Uh, images and why we have a building with pews and heat and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, What is the purpose of this entity called the church? How does it work? How does it work together? And this question comes at a moment where uh, really in our culture, uh, the church is kind of trending down. Uh, We're we're in this moment, like even statistically, uh, partly coming out of COVID, but partly just because of cultural shift that's happening. Uh, we see uh, the church in a place that, that feels like it's harder than it's been before. In 2021, church attendance in America dropped below 50% for the first time in America's history below 50% for the first time in America's history. And in case you're wondering if that is just pandemic related because just people weren't going to services, uh, that number is matched uh, by what statisticians see in terms of people's claims about their faith journey. And and a a mathematically equivalent number uh, has jumped in terms of people who would just claim they have no uh, religious affiliation at all. So we we know statistically where those people went, that a good chunk of people uh, in, in the American church just sort of quietly during the pandemic, slid out and just unchecked the faith box and said, I'm not doing that now. And so we we live in a sort of a dark uh, moment in the history of the church. Canada is further on that journey. Uh, Our statistics are a little bit older, but in 2019, uh, we could see that uh, right now in Canada, or right then, 2019, only 23% of Canadians would say that they would attend church once a month. So we're further behind than the Americans on that. So it's a, it's a it's a difficult moment, even in terms of the numbers, but but not only in terms of the numbers, uh, the cultural context and and people's perceptions of the church. Um, these are the things that sort of people ask or people are thinking when they're thinking about church. They're saying the church is just corrupt and and wants my money. Uh, why are there so many denominations? Uh, God is okay, but uh, not organized religion. What's the point of that? Uh, what about uh, residential schools? What about the crusade? Churches are too judgmental. Their morality is too restrictive. Uh, why have so many leaders fallen? Why are Christians anti-science? Why are so many Christians seemingly prone uh, to conspiracy theories? Why is the church so political? Uh, what's the point of all the tradition? It doesn't seem to meet my needs. What's the point of going Or I can can uh, go and visit and see a sermon online anytime, anywhere I want and see exactly what I want. And we hear those questions and those are actually sort of winsomely worded questions to a certain degree, but sometimes behind those questions is even great hostility. Uh, Sometimes behind those questions there's uh, a sense that the church is, is actually really under it. We're in a very difficult place in terms of cultural shift. Uh, And and I think maybe the first thing to acknowledge in that is what that does uh, to us as people, to us as Christians, those of us who are here, who did come out this morning, uh, what does that do in terms of our hearts? What did that do to us? And the reality is, is that when the church is in this moment, uh, what we feel on one level or another as, as believers in this changing culture is a sense of insecurity. Uh, We feel a sense that uh, the place where we were, the place uh, that that we had uh, in in our society is is something that has been diminished. We're not as secure as we were. We're not as stable as we were. Uh, We wrestle with a sense of uh, we don't have the authority that we once had. What's going to change? What's going to happen to us? How are these changes going to impact our ability to worship, our ability to gather, and our journey with Christ? Uh, How do we navigate Uh, these moments. And if we uh, look a little deeper at those insecurities, uh, insecurities tend to produce uh, different kinds of reactions in us as as people. Uh, The first reaction that that we feel uh, when we're fearful or insecure, uh, our reaction is a fear aggression. And you see that little picture of the dog up on the screen, a little wiener dog named Nelson. And he was just the most insecure dog. If he loved you, uh, you, came, he would, you would come up to him at the door and he would turn himself upside down and just pee all over himself. <laughs> but if he was scared of you, his tail would go under his, his legs and he would just bare his teeth and just... Arr! And it wasn't that he was actually aggressive or it wasn't that he was angry at you, it wasn't that he wanted to attack you, it was that he was fearful. And so we see in our culture that kind of fear aggression happening in the church, that there are some of us who on social media, when we feel like something is said that is against the church, we rise up and we bear our fangs and we bark louder than ever. Uh, we see uh, reactions in the church to, to sort of strengthen ourselves, to, to hunker down, to, to build a fortress, uh, to sometimes attack uh, what's going on in culture or what's going on in government. If we're honest about ourselves, that's probably a fear-aggression reaction that's happening in us, that's happening in the church. Uh, The other reaction is uh, hiding and passivity. We, uh, like a dog, will sort of put our tail between our legs and just go and hide under the couch. I know when the thunder rumbles in my house, the dog finds a place to hide under Toby's bed. And we as Christians, uh, that's our other response in this cultural moment, is to become passive, to uh, begin to become retiring, to sort of step back. I had a conversation with my uh, barber uh, just this week, and it it was really interesting how that conversation evolved. There's another person cutting in the chair uh, beside us, and you can tell this person, I've asked a couple of questions that sort of maybe lead to a conversation about faith, and and she responds uh, talking a little bit about philosophy nervously, kind of paying attention to that person beside her, and then I kind of said the word theology and watched her eyes kind of perk up and brighten up like, oh, now we're talking about something that's a little closer to what I'm I'm really interested in. Um, and then when that person who was cutting went away to sweep the floor or do something else, uh, then she only opened up and sort of broke down and told a little bit of her story of, uh, of, of some healing that had happened. Uh, some questions about had God done it, Uh, should I go back to church, should I become involved in faith, should I do a journey with God and just rest, like just opening up her story, opening up her story, being able to talk about faith. But she couldn't do that with the person uh, cutting in the chair beside her. She didn't know if she could talk about it that with me because she didn't feel secure, she didn't feel safe, she didn't feel like she could use words that would be overheard and make people think she was crazy. And so we wrestle with that kind of insecurity. Uh, We become passive, we become quiet, we become scared of sharing our faith. And there's many people that uh, I think have looked at church in these days and looked at this changing cultural context and have said, hey, this is just a moment for me to check out and to just not be as engaged. Maybe I'm just going to get my kids in hockey on Sunday mornings, or maybe I'm just going to do a service club, or maybe I'm going to do something else that just doesn't feel like it makes me scared, doesn't make me worry what others think about me. And so we retire. So in this insecure moment when the church is in uh, a place of change, a place of seeming diminishment, I want us to acknowledge that sense of insecurity that we feel and our reactions to it. And I actually want to take just a moment and pray into that and ask the Holy Spirit to touch us. So let's just bow our heads and and pray for a moment. Lord, we confess uh, that we, uh, we feel insecure. We look at the changing world around us, and we're not sure what's going to happen to us. We're not sure where this thing is going. And we we confess to you, Lord, that we're a little bit afraid. So we ask you for comfort. We ask that you would uh, build our confidence. We ask that you would help us to see your church through your eyes. To see it uh, in the way that you see it, to see it in its cosmic significance, to be encouraged by your vision for your church. Father, help us to see what your scriptures say about the the church. Help us to see what the Bible teaches. Help us to ground ourselves in something that is rock solid, that we can trust, so we can know who we're meant to be. And would you give us security? And in that, would you help us to move from those two places and those two insecure reactions. Lord, if we have been like the barking dog who's actually fearful, would you cause us to not bear our fangs anymore and to just come to a place of trust in who we're meant to be? And if we're retiring and fearful and ashamed of our faith and and almost checked out, not invested, Lord, we repent and ask that you would cause us to be secure, that you would cause us to be anchored Uh, in your identity for the church, your purpose for the church, would you cause us to grow and and become healthy and to become solid and to really be a a church that's founded on the rock. Bless us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the reason why this is is so important is that um, when we think of God uh, trying to save his world and trying to communicate Uh, with his world, trying to be glorified in his world. The reality is, is that he has no other plan. He has no other plan to be known and glorified in his world other than through the church. There's no other plan for him to show himself to the world. There's no other plan for the beauty of Jesus and who he is to be revealed to the world. He uh, looks at you and he sees you and he has established you absolutely as plan A. And that's what we want to do this morning is we want to just establish that uh, from the text. We want to establish that from scripture and, and really dig into it and just accept what the word of God is saying about ourselves. So let's just read Ephesians chapter 3 verses 8 to 11. I'm going to take a little drink here, and then we'll unpack that text. Ephesians 3, 8 to 11. Although I am less, this is Paul talking to the Ephesian church, although I'm less than all of the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. So let's just go back to the beginning there. Let's go back to uh, verse 8. Paul is again, he's sort of establishing his place in the church. He's saying, although I'm the the least of all of the Lord's people, a grace was given to me. A gift was given to me. Uh, A mission was given to me. And that mission is twofold, as we see in the text. First, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And we obviously see that as Paul's uh, key ministry, key mission. He was going out on missions to different communities, to the church in Ephesus, and Galatia, and all around Asia, uh, preaching uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. That's his first grace that is on the life of Paul. But then he talks about a second grace. It's right here in the text. Um, And... To make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. He hasn't told us what this mystery is yet. Uh, Which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. What he's doing is he's he's winding his his reader up. He's preparing his reader to, to hear something. Hey, I've got this second mission. I am going to make plain something. I'm going to make plain something. That word in the Greek is uh, illuminate. It means I'm going to illuminate something that was previously dark. I'm going to help you see something that you previously couldn't see. And that thing that I want to see uh, illuminated, uh, that thing that I want you to notice, that thing that nobody else has seen, uh, for all eternity it was hidden in God. It was a mystery that was hidden uh, in God for ages past. God kept that mystery hidden. Something that he wasn't going to tell us. He wasn't going to show us. Um, there's uh, something about uh, a trick. Like, uh, think about a magician trying to, uh, for ages, sort of keep this trick. You know the old trick of the take, putting the woman in the box and sawing her in half? Does anybody know how they do that? Some of you probably looked it up in YouTube and actually do know how they do that. But it's like, God, God, it's like, I've got this trick. I've got something that's going to be impressive, something that's going to be happen. But I'm dying for everybody to know how it works behind the scenes. I want to show everybody what it looks like behind the box. I want you to know how I'm going to administrate this task of seeing my glory known in all the earth. I want to show you the mechanics of how it works. And he's winding them up. Uh, He's building this anticipation. He's going to show us behind the box. He's going to show us the trick. He's going to show us the administration of it. That word in, in the Greek, administration, really means the workings of it. It means the details of how a plan is formed and it comes to pass, how it comes to reality. And so this is it. This is the plan. This is the secret. This is what he wants to reveal to the world. His intent was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. That's the secret. That's the administration. Surprise, my plan is the church. That's how it's going to work. And that's what my intention is. That's what my purpose is. When you look right now at Calvary uh, and our joint services with OVC and how we sort of are doing, church, in this time, in this space, in our culture, uh, trying to navigate, trying to go forward, this is the inner workings. This is the mechanics. This is the administration. This is part of the package of how God is planning to reveal his glory in the earth through us silly people in this silly room meeting together, worshiping, praising God, and glorifying him every Sunday morning and seeking to be his disciples. That's the trick in the box. That's the mystery. That's the magic. That's what he's revealing. And it is an intention. It is something that is planned. If we looked at the text uh, previous, this is something that was hidden in God. For ages past. This moment here for us. Uh, the, the, the coming of the church to, into its own in acts. God's plan to reveal his wisdom through the church. That word made known is to make manifest. Remember earlier we talked about the word illuminate, to just shine a light on something. I'm shining a light now on the thing that is making God's wisdom Manifest, making it real, making it knowable, making it seeable, making it tangible to the world. His purpose is being fulfilled through the church. His purpose is revealed in us. And so uh, when we bring that local. Uh, We talked about this last week. We talked about discipleship. We said there's roughly 32,700 and some people in our region uh, who live in the three municipalities that we serve. And if you look at the Christians from what StatsCan says, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of of 2,500 practicing Christians in our region, and a good number of them sort of go to church uh, in the city. So there's probably, you know, if you just do some anecdotal math crunching in terms of the people who are attending church on a Sunday morning in Carlton Place at this moment that we are, there's probably less than 500 believers trying to make known the glory of God to Carlton Place, Almont, and Beckwith. But that's the plan. That's the plan. That is plan A, that the glory of God would be revealed uh, through us, through our little group. And it's not only just to our community, it's not only just to those 30,000. If you look at that text, this is made known to the rulers, the mayors, uh, the premiers, the prime ministers, the kings and queens. There's something about what is seen in the existence of the church that makes God's wisdom known to the world or is supposed to. And then he says, not only to the rulers, but to the authorities in the heavenly realms. God is using what is happening down here. God who dwells in heaven is using what is happening here to reveal himself to others who are in heaven. Do you get how crazy that is? He's broadcasting his glory to heaven through you. That's what's happening when we raise our hands and sing on Sunday morning. We're glorifying God in a way that heavenly rulers and authorities and principalities and powers hear the power and echo of our voices and know that God is to be enthroned in glory upon the earth and in the heavens. That's through the songs we sing. That's through the gathered voices of the community. The only way the temporal and spiritual authorities in the world can possibly know the wisdom and glory of God is as they see it made manifest in the church. That's how it works. That's the mystery in the box. So now tell me why it's okay that we show up once a month when we feel like it. Tell me why our discipleship is a fifth or sixth priority somewhere down below amateur athletics and our Insta-scrolling. Does that hit home for anybody? It hits home for me. We have a great and glorious purpose and we don't understand it. We don't believe it. We don't trust it. We're insecure about it. We value all kinds of other things high above it. And there's a problem with that. There's, a, there's, a, there's enormous compassion. As a pastor sometimes, I, even with myself, there's an internal anger. I'm, I'm angry at myself when I become distracted, and I'm angry at you when you come distracted. Like, that's an honest uh, thing that I wrestle with. But I think that's something that we need to just sort of rest in for a moment and feel uh, the reality that there is a disconnect between uh, the way we live our lives and the purpose we've been given. And we should let ourselves feel that disconnect. We should let ourselves feel that dissonance and we should let ourselves be challenged. There's something more for you. There's something more for the church. Paul's passion for the church is driven uh, by a deeply rooted theological and practical understanding that a healthy Christian church is the only transforming agent for a world that's become blind to the glory of God. If you want to save the world, you have to be the church. If you want to save the world, you have to be the church. And this is where he's getting to in Ephesians uh, chapter three, twenty to twenty one. Uh, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations." forever and ever. Uh, that chunk between uh, 20 and 11 that we that we skipped over there is this incredibly uh, beautiful text where uh, Paul is talking about how he wants his people to be empowered, how he wants them to uh, be strengthened to understand the width and breadth and depth of the love of Christ in them. Uh, he's, he's confident we'll unpack that a little bit later in the series. He intends for us to have an empowered uh, reality, an empowered life, uh, a journey of discipleship and a journey of faith that is full of beauty and life and glory. But the intention of that process, of that discipleship, of that life, is so that there would be glory in the church. Let there be glory in the church. We would be a church that sees ourselves, our primary purpose, the thing that wakes us up in the morning, that which we breathe, be to rise as a people and glorify Christ. To magnify Him, to praise His name, to see that His name is known for the beauty and the glory and the power and authority that He is. Would we rise up church and glorify God. If we want God to be glorified in the world, He has to be glorified in us. It's just the way it works. And so the rest of the series is going to be asking that question. Like practically, how is God meant to be glorified in us? What needs to shift in our posture towards worship? What needs to shift in our posture towards uh, being a community? What needs to shift in our understanding of what the church is so that we can fulfill this purpose? We can put this goal of being glorifying people at the center of who we are as a church. How do we administrate this mystery? Practically, how do we administrate it? that word administer it seems like such like a boring world word like shuffling papers on, on a desk But that is actually our goal. That is actually our purpose. That is actually our task. To come on Sunday mornings and plug in the cables, uh, to put on the coffee when people are coming to our homes uh, for a small group, uh, to read and study the scriptures so that we have something to offer those that we're discipling, to come with repentance in our hearts before the Word of God and say, hey, how can this transform us? How can this make me a person who would become an evangelist, who would be bold enough to reach my friends. We have to administrate in very practical ways this calling. It is not something that a magic wand gets waved over us and all of a sudden we're a vibrant, healthy church. That happens through the administration of life, through decisions, through every day, day by day, moment by moment choices to be faithful in the practical things that God's calling us to do. And so we want to recover that word ministry, administration, and see it as a noble task. That's the mystery that's been hidden for all the ages. The simple, practical ministries of the church is the administration that's been hidden for all the ages. The plan that was set before the beginning of time. It's the same root word that Paul uses when he says, uh, we have this ministry. He says it a whole pile of times, describing the call of the apostles. It's the same call that's on our lives. Second Corinthians 4 and so many other places. I'll skip over unpacking that. So here's this question. How is God to be glorified in the church? What are our ministries? What are our administrations? And I've really broken them down into three things. We have a ministry to God, we have a ministry to one another, and a ministry to the world. And this is something that uh, you see in all kinds of systematic theologies. It's something you see on the Calvary Church website, and it's something you see on the OVC website. If you look at your core values on your website as a church at Calvary Church, it says right on your front page, we are a church that is here to connect with God, connect with people, and connect with the world. Those are your stated values, that's your stated mission. On the OVV website, OVC website, it says we're here to encounter Jesus, our ministry to God, to be transformed, a ministry to one another and then to share his love, our ministry to the world. And this formulation, this Trinitarian formulation of the threefold purpose, the threefold mission of the church, is something we instinctually come upon when we look at our journey together. We have a relationship with God that needs to be rightly oriented. We have a relationship with the church that needs to be rightly oriented. And we have a relationship with the world that needs to be rightly oriented. So what does it mean? How can he be glorified in us as we minister To him. I think these are the shifts that we need to go through as a people. I think these are the shifts that need to happen uh, in the church at large. I think this is what the series is going to be about over the next several weeks. How do we make these shifts? In our worship, can we shift our purpose in worship from consumption to glorification? Can we come to worship? Not for what we get, but for what we give. Can we come to worship for the glory of God? Can we come? What would worship be like for us if we weren't sort of thinking, ah, I kind of like that song. I kind of don't like that song. I wonder what worship team's playing this week. Oh, man, I got a couple of texts that I got to handle. What if we all raised our hands or something really radical like that? Like What if we were all like really radically invested in, in encountering the glory of God in worship? If we all came here on Sunday mornings uh, during our, our week and we said, oh man, I can't wait to get to Sunday morning. God has blessed me with these things. I've had these encounters with him. I've been able to share the gospel with these people. I've got to come to church to give God thanks for this. I've got to glorify him for what's happening in my life. What if we came together with that kind of passion to just lift up the name of God every Sunday morning and eradicate way and our eyes were on him and not on ourselves would church be a little different it would be a little different our other shift as we learn to minister to him is in our liturgy or in the flow of our service and in the sermons and the way we use our words to make a shift from a human-centric faith to a gospel-centric faith that we would exult in the glory of God as seen in the Gospels, as seen in the story of the person Jesus, and learn more and more rather than how do we just help each other out and how do we just have a nice life, how do we prosper if we shift that to an elevation of the person of Jesus, exulting in him, exulting in his personality, wanting to know everything about who he is, celebrating everything who he is. As we worship him in that way, our imitation transforms us into him. We become him. As we worship him, as we flatter him, we imitate him and we become more like him. We be transformed. And then God is glorified as we minister to one another. There needs to be a shift in our way of growth from uh, self-help to submitted discipleship. What if we actually lived lives. we were saying we're coming underneath the scriptures, we're coming underneath the wisdom of our friends and saying, hey, I, I need to change. I'm not just here to know more things. I need to be a person who can tell my friends about Jesus. I need to be a person who looks more like Jesus. If he's to be glorified, then I have to look more like him. What do I need to do to become more like him? Not just Bible study and learning some bits and memorizing some bits and uh, puffing up our brains, but That knowledge is important, but we need to allow that knowledge to utterly transform us. Our way of community needs to shift from attractional to covenantal. Right now, the only thing that that keeps us here and keeps us committed is, well, when we feel like being here and being committed. It seems like a good place to be. That's where I want to be. And so whenever we have to challenge one another, whenever somebody has to say something difficult to me, whenever somebody has to push me further than I want to go, I can jump ship and say, I'll go down to the church down the street. But what if we moved in a way that was a deep, deep, family with deep commitment that we hurt when the other hurts. We feel pain when the other feels pain. We celebrate when the other person celebrates. We share our resources with one another in radical ways because we're all one people. We're all one covenantal people. We can do church discipline and life together and discipleship in a new way. If we can make that shift, God will be glorified in our midst. And then as our ministry to the world, our proclamation, we so much want to rely on programs because we're so nervous, we're so retiring, we're so uncomfortable, we're so uh, tentative about how we share the gospel, how we share the story of Jesus. And so we think, oh man, if we can just have a program that will maybe do that outreach for us, I can sort of participate and I can come and show up and I don't really have to do too much, but at least I can be a part of it and let the gospel go forward. If we can shift... From something that is uh, programmatic to being an empowered people. like We talked about this last week. What needs to change in me so that I know what I need to say to my friends to lead them into faith in Christ? And how am I to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and released in my gifts so that I can move in a way that uh, brings the power of God for salvation into the lives of people? Because the gospel is spoken with clarity and with power and with love because the Holy Spirit dwells in me in a new way. We'd be empowered people. And our demonstration needs to shift from acts of social justice, uh, little offerings which are wonderful, Uh, gifts to compassion and sponsoring compassion children and all of the little beautiful sort of social justice things we do. Those things are good and those things are beautiful, but we need to not just be people who do acts of social justice. We need to be Jesus society. We need to be a completely different people. We need to be an alternative to the world that lives in covenantal relationship with one another in a deep and abiding way that can change the world. So no small task to make those shifts. (laughs) It's a heavy one, right? But I think this is where God's calling us. I think he's calling. Do you, do you agree? Do you believe? Do you hear him? Do you hear the spirit calling us to this? To bring ourselves to be a church that at our very core, we 100% understand everywhere we go that we are here to glorify Jesus. And all our other purposes fade in the background. Simon, you can come up with the team. I know the service is going a little bit long. I, I appreciate your patience. if we begin to embrace uh, a more God's glory centered understanding of the purpose for our church, your tentativeness about our gatherings will just fade away. Uh, They will increasingly represent the most significant and the most important hours of your week and the most significant and most important hours and places in our region. Because this is where it happens. These are the hours. These small groups. These youth groups. These worship service. These are the hours that change everything. Will we see them that way? Will we invest in them that way? You just read as we worship. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, he's able to do this in us according to his power at work within us. To him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.